Hello and welcome to this episode of the BursaCast. We are recording on the 16th of December in the afternoon. And for a BursaCast first, I'm joined by ISBA's Head of Advice and Guidance, Denise Allen. Welcome, Denise. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Leo. Hello, everyone. And it's great to speak to you. Absolutely. It's been a a little while trying to trying to get you on here. You're a, you're a busy lady, but I'm glad we've got you um, to help us out with this new BursaCast. Um, before we get in, could you just outline really briefly what it is advice and guidance kind of does and, and the role it is that you're playing within the RSBA? Yes, of course. So until earlier this year, I was actually a serving bursa myself and had been at a school for 10 years. And what was absolutely clear to me is that you cannot be an expert in all subjects as a bursa and your time is also hugely compromised by the wide range of subjects that you have to deal with in school and you know there are often things on your to-do list which you never get around to doing during a day and isba does a lot of that work for you and and for me it was a real lifeline when i was in post because i knew that i could go to the reference library or the announcements and see the things that were happening live and get the guidance and advice from the team who were looking at that actively for all of the bursaries at member schools. And my role now is to play that part for other member schools and, and, and spending time of looking at legislation topical subjects that are coming up, such as strep A at the moment within schools and the risks associated around that, and to provide the relevant guidance notes and get the pertinent advice from solicitors, etc., that we use, or other experts, so that we can disseminate that information and save time for those bursaries in schools. Absolutely, and a fantastic job of it you do as well. <laughs> um, but I don't do it alone. We have some tremendous colleagues there in place who've been, uh, you know, in place a lot longer than I. Um, but together we manage to address most subjects. And if we don't know the answer, we certainly know people who do. Absolutely. So, bursas, if you're listening, hopefully you are. Uh, <laughs> if you have any questions, get in touch. There's a fantastic team to answer all of them, as I'm sure you're all aware. So today we're going to follow on with the BursaCast, with the updates for this week to inform you of all the goings on that are happening. So the first thing that I'm going to dive into is the inspection fees update. Denise, what's the latest with that? Well, funnily enough, ISI inspection fees have traditionally been billed once a year uh, in January, and that is slap bang in the middle of a financial year or a school year. And what they've actually uh, done is listen to some feedback from schools and have decided to align their fee billing with school inspection cycles and school years. So for 2023, schools will expect to receive two bills from the ISI. One will be in January as normal, but that will just be for the first eight months of the year. And then in September, they'll receive a whole year's fees for the September 23 inspection cycle. And then those fees will be renewed each September. And that means it will be uh, in alignment with schools, finance systems and make life a whole lot easier. Marvellous. Well, that sounds like a good change indeed. Mm. And then moving on to some other news, which is the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse has been given key recommendations and next steps from our friends over at Harrison Clark Rickabees. What is the kind of stuff that bursas really want to be taking away from this? 
Well, the ICSA report was extensive. Um, and in the reference library, there is a quick read, which might be useful for bursaries who are, are interested to see what the recommendations are. But there is a wholesale change recommended into the way children's sexual abuse is reported, responded to and tackled with, aiming to prevent widespread abuse from occurring, of course. Now, schools, you know, safeguarding is top of mind, courtesy of inspections, but mainly the KICSI, K-C-S-I-E. And um, a lot of the recommendations are, well, the key recommendations are listed in the Harrison Clark Rickaby note. But schools are in front of many of those actions because of Kixie. But I do urge bursars and clerks to read the guidance provided and involve their DSL, school executive and governors, particularly the safeguarding governor, in implementing necessary changes ahead of time. So, for example, the, the main concentration for schools seems to be around the way data is collected, categorised and reported so that it is consistent nationally and regionally and schools should always be mindful of their data protection act and uk gdpr responsibilities another area that's key for schools is that potentially there will be an expanded use of the barred list which will capture potentially some of those new applicants who are not necessarily going to be in regulated activity uh, when these recommendations are implemented. And one area that schools are, are already aware of is the 75-year retention period, which is a much longer period to retain data. And this will allow for delayed disclosures so that, you know, pertinent information hasn't been destroyed and there is a risk of a later disclosure, which means you all need to, to refer to it. One thing I do want to mention now that I've got an opportunity is for schools to be aware that there is a free ISBA webinar around the ICSA report update, and that will be on the 31st of January next year. So um, I would suggest that's a good one to tune into if you can. Brilliant. So lots of new updates there and clear guidance on how to handle these things in schools. And pivoting from that through to being out of school, which is flexible working. What is the latest information on flexible working and how does it affect schools? The key thing, I think, um, following the consultation last year is that it's been noted that the current legislation in place is, is somewhat outdated. And I think a lot of that really follows on from the flexible working that was put in place uh, around the pandemic and afterwards. So a lot of people's working practices have changed since the pandemic, as we all are aware. For schools and most business, well, every business, in fact, the key change I would note really is that employees will be able to request flexible working from the first date of their employment. Um, no guarantee that they have the right to receive that request being granted, but um, they will be able to do so from day one. They'll be allowed to ask for flexible working twice a year, up to a, a maximum of two requests per year, and schools will need to respond to those requests within two months. Now, that's a shorter time frame. It was previously three months or is currently three months. Schools will also have to consider a compromise plan if the original request is rejected by them. So it's not just a binary decision, yes or no. I think there is going to be a need to think around the request and, and see if there is a compromise that will help your employee but enable the school to retain the, the key services that they are undertaking. Okie dokie, sure. 
And then diving from this into other changes that are happening in lots of people's lives and also now that are being recognized in schools is the menopause. The information around this has been growing massively recently, lots and lots of public figures talking about it, bringing it into public conversation, which is really important. And now we're getting kind of feedback from that, which is how should schools and HR in schools deal with the menopause and look after their workforce? What is the latest advice and guidance surrounding this? Well, this goes to supporting your staff as well, really. Most schools will have a a large proportion of female staff on their workforce. um, And so there is a huge potential to be affected by um, or impacted by menopause and perimenopause. So it's all about providing support, in, in my view. And a lot of that is about raising awareness within schools, not just with staff, but actually some might suggest with pupils as well, perhaps teaching it through a curriculum in in PHSE, for example. But, you know, some women will not necessarily know that they are being affected and having, you know, issues which, which makes them feel that they're not working as effectively as they once were and not understanding why. And I think line managers can take a, a huge part in watching out for this. So, Awareness is key. Understanding your employee and seeing perhaps if there is an issue which might be related to menopause. Symptoms are wide ranging um, and can occur from as early as 40 years of age. So it's a significant part of a, a woman's lifetime that can be affected by this schools need to offer help your reasonable adjustments is a is a, a term that we're all pretty aware about in in lots of different areas but in regards to menopause you know perhaps flexible start times and finish times might assist uh, a lady affected temperature controls and um <laughs> you know the overheating or the feeling cold can be quite difficult to to manage and so a room with good temperature control is good, quieter spaces and maybe a, a good way to go so that there's time to have a bit of peace and quiet. And really a menopause policy is something that many schools are introducing. So that's really the key takeaways I see from this, trying to get awareness out there and having considered what your policy will be in terms of helping your staff. Absolutely. I think anything that generates conversation and understanding around these things is going to make a difference and Mm. help people who are suffering from things like menopause. So moving on from that to a very different topic, which is the topic of redundancy and the kind of pool of one. What are the rules and what should schools be aware of when this thing occurs? And what is this thing? So redundancy is uh, an area where if you've got an HR department at your school, they should be fully aware of the rules and regs uh, around redundancy. If you're in a school where you know that responsibility falls to you, make sure that you do read up on redundancy rules and be aware of what you know all those things that you need to know when you're dealing with your staff. I, I would suggest that many schools might be thinking about the need to make staff redundant. We're, we're all well aware of the economic pressures on schools, cost of living, you know, et cetera. So it's possible that you're thinking about making staff redundant. The key message, Leo, is that everyone should be treated fairly and that there is a meaningful and genuine consultation. So in this particular case, there was an employee at an NHS trust 
who was selected for redundancy and was selected really on her own. So by the time she was made redundant, she felt that it was a fait accompli. There hadn't been adequate consultation with her. She had been selected on her own, so she had no chance to impact on the decision and and perhaps come up with a different result. So it's important that schools always remember and particularly when you're you're thinking about TPS, if you're thinking of exiting TPS, the consultation must be meaningful and it must be genuine. You, you mustn't make a, let an employee believe that they are selected and it doesn't matter what they say, they will be the one that's made redundant. In this particular case, she took the, the case to the EAT um, and claimed that she had been unfairly dismissed because of an inadequate consultation and that she was the only staff member selected. But it is interesting to note that sometimes a pool of one is only possible because it's the only role that you can make redundant. So it doesn't mean you can't have a pool of one. You just need to make sure that you've assessed it fairly before you go down that particular route. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, this the notion of a meaningful consultation and having a proper discussion about it and having all voices heard is mm. vital. You know, people that the last thing anyone wants is to feel as though they're not being listened to by their employers. So that's a, a massive piece. And then moving on from that to pretty much the final thing we're going to talk about now is the professional development program, which the ISBA offers, and some of the really exciting things we have coming up. What are the things you want to draw attention to? Well, we've just recently had an HR conference in November, and that was uh, attended by 260 people. Um, face-to-face and I think there was huge energy in in that setting uh, which was stimulating for all the uh, delegates. Now we have another uh, couple of conferences coming up in London in the spring term. There's a mock tribunal in January but primarily I wanted to talk today about the finance conference that's coming up early in February. Now that's got a full program over a day of a number of subjects with specialist speakers and the opportunity to talk to other bursars and other finance professionals in school. So I just wanted to to make sure that everyone was aware that that was taking place. For sure, if I was a bursar in a school now, I'd be booking my ticket because I think never has it been more important to be up to date with what's going on, uh, you know, financially and economically in the sector. So that's one I particularly wanted to draw attention to. The other thing also, uh, Leo, which I think schools will versus and finances will find interesting are the termly finance update webinars that we're planning. So John Murphy and I are planning to deliver one each term, and that's going to concentrate solely on the scenario modelling template that we recently published into the reference library. And what we will do is give examples of how to use that, but also John will update on the economic factors that were put into the first draft of the uh, guidance note. And we can then obviously help schools as they prepare their budgets in the spring term, ready for presentation to their finance governors. Brilliant. And then final thing, is there anything else that we need to be thinking about going into the Christmas period, aside from not to eat too many mince pies? (laughs) Well, I think there's a couple of things. The first thing is today we're recording on the 16th of December, and it's likely that many are are, uh, on their last day before Christmas. So the first thing, of course, is to say happy Christmas and make sure you have a really good rest and get some 
really good downtime, recharge your batteries ready for the spring. But again, as a bursa, uh, I would be looking ahead at the spring term and thinking of probably infection control because we're all aware that the cases of strep A and scarlet fever are on the increase within school children's population. And I'm also aware that COVID-19 numbers seem to be climbing. So I think it's probably a good idea to dust off your infection control risk assessments and get out the hand sanitizers ready for the new year because I think it, you know, the best thing you can do is get people back into that practice of almost hand space space again so that we can try and make sure that the impact on our pupils is minimized. Yeah, absolutely. And as with lots of advice and guidance that's given, it's always best to be prepared you know, plan for the worst and hope for the best type Absolutely. thing. So, Absolutely. Uh, Marvellous. Right, Denise, I'll let you shoot off and enjoy your, your busy pre-Christmas uh, routines. <laughs> and uh, I will catch up with you on the next BursaCast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks very much. Have a happy Christmas. And just to round this episode off, we're going to be hearing from the festive figure that is, of course, Mr. John Murphy. Without further ado, over to John. Thank you very much, Leo. I've never been called that before. Anyway, um, just to say to all of you who have um, downloaded this and dialed into it in various ways, thank you very much indeed for your support in 2022. It's been a year that didn't work to plan at all with the various things that happened with the Liz Truss short government and quasi-quateng budget, which has thrown everything off kilter. So <clears throat> we've been here to support you this year. You've been very much active in supporting us. So thank you very much for that. 2023 will be a challenge. It's going to be another year that will not work to plan. The government will be work, working on a very short-term policy because they will be trying to get re-elected. Labour will become ever more vociferous. Uh, we've seen attacks on the sector in the last couple of months of this year. Those will not go away. Uh, however, we are here to support you and we will be getting advice out to you as best we can through the year. We are enlisting uh, various bits of professional support in anticipation of some of the challenges of 2023 and 24. Um, and obviously you'll see the outputs of that beginning to appear as circumstances dictate as the year goes on. In the meantime, though, please have a very restful Christmas and New Year break. The very best wishes to you and your families, and I hope the beginning of the year is peaceful as at least a start. Thank you very much. And there we have it. You've made it to the end of another episode of the BursaCast. If you have made it this far, a wholehearted thank you. If you do enjoy it, please make sure to subscribe wherever it is you're listening to make sure you never miss an update. Please do also share this with members of your team and staff. It all helps. And I will repeat John and Denise's message of wishing you a Merry Christmas and thanks again for all the support this year. Till next time, farewell. 